Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 70. We'll begin with a brief summation of the first three chapters of the second book of Samuel and follow with a consideration of politics and politics by other means. Previously in the book of Samuel. Give them nothing, but take from them everything. Shaul dies, Yonatan dies, all is lost and Israel is defeated. Meanwhile, in Siklag, the freebooter David awaits news, and when a man finally arrives with earth on his head and torn garments, well, it's not a good sign. The man is an Amalekite who fled the Israelite camp and, quote, just chanced to be on Mount Gilboa, and look, Shaul was leaning on his spear, and look, chariots and horsemen had overtaken him. Shaul calls the man over and asks the Amalekite to finish him off, which the Amalekite does. And to prove that what he says is true, the Amalekite produces Shaul's diadem and arm bracelet and presents it to David. David is devastated, rending his garments as he keens and weeps, and after fasting until evening, he returns to the Amalekite and asks him, quote, How are you not afraid to reach out your hand and do violence to the Lord's anointed? at which point he orders one of his men to kill the Amalekite for daring to kill the Lord's anointed. And then David sings a lament for Shaul and Yonatan, a lament that is written in the book of Yashar, or the book of the upright, a work that was probably familiar to the ancient audience. Quote, The splendor, O Israel, on your heights lies slain. How have the warriors fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in Ashkelon's streets, lest the Philistine daughters rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised gloat. David's concluding apostrophe is intimate, personal, and emotional, in an unexpected way. Yonatan proclaimed his love for David many times, but David never reciprocated until now. Quote, Yonatan, upon your height slain, I grieve for you, my brother Yonatan. Very dear you were to me, more wondrous your love to me than the love of women. David then relocates from Tziklag to Hebron, where the men of Yehuda anoint him as king over the house of Yehuda. David then reaches out to the people of Yavesh Gilad on the eastern side of the Jordan River, people who were fiercely loyal and committed to Shaul, and couches his praise for their faithfulness in more practical terms. Just as you have been loyal to Shaul, so too you should be loyal to me. Meanwhile, Shaul's strongman Avner ben Ner has installed Ishboshet, one of Shaul's surviving sons, as king in Machanaim, a locality also on the eastern bank of the Jordan. Ishboshet rules over a reconstituted Israel for two years, while David rules over Yehuda from Hebron. But as Connor MacLeod famously said, There can be only one. So the conflict between David and Ishboshet is only a matter of time, and when Avner's boys and Yoav, David's nephew and general, and his boys meet up at the well at Givon, they mean to play, but soon enough... Pray havoc, and let's slip the dogs of war! And they fight, and men die, and in the ensuing melee, Avner and his surviving men flee, but Asahel, Yoav's youngest brother, gives pursuit and catches up to Avner. Avner tries to convince Asahel to beg off to take some other Shaolite's armor as a trophy, but Asahel refuses. Avner tries a more diplomatic approach, asking Asahel, quote, Why should I strike you to the ground, and how would I show my face to Yoav, your brother? But when that fails, Avner does the old dodge-by-breaking trick, except with one lethal difference. When he breaks, his spear is extended so that Asahel cannot help but run into it. 
When David's men come upon the body of Asahel, they cease their pursuit, but Yoav and Avishai, his brother, do not, and they continue to chase Avner, even when Avner reconnects with reinforcements. Avner calls out to Yoav, quote, Must the sword devour forever? You surely know that it will be bitterness in the end, and how long will you not say to the troops to turn back from their brothers? Yoav calls off the chase, but the matter between them is not settled, and neither is the war between the house of Shaul and the house of David. And even when Avner falls out with Ishboshet and falls in with David, rallying the nation behind David's standard at Hebron, Yoav does not let the matter lie. He summons Avner to meet him at the city gates and stabs him to death, quote, for the blood of Asahel, Yoav's brother. David offers a quick and full-throated denial, quote, Innocent am I in my kingship before the Lord for all time of the blood of Avner ben Ner. He even keens for Avner with a quick two-verse lament about how marvelous a warrior Avner was and publicly mourns and fasts. This has the desired effect, quote, All the people took note, and it was good in their eyes. All that the king had done was good in their eyes of the people. And all the people and all of Israel knew on that day that it had not been from the king to put to death Avner ben Ner. David concludes by reminding one and all, quote, I am gentle and just anointed king, and these sons of Tsruya are too hard for me. May the Lord pay back the evildoer according to his evil. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. is the continuation of politics by other means. This insight from Karl von Clausewitz, a Prussian general and military thinker, is arguably his most famous contribution to thinking about war and politics. That, and the term fog of war, which he also coined in his unfinished tome, On War. Let's ruminate on that aphorism for a moment. Von Clausewitz posits that there is politics, which, most basically defined, is the struggle between individuals for stuff. And then there is war, organized violence, which is one of the many ways individuals acquire said stuff. One could just as well use persuasion or negotiation to acquire stuff, but, you know, war is always an option. Now, if you think of the most basic interactions between humans, two children at play, for example, but considering that we're dealing with humans, conflict is inevitably baked into that interaction. So when child A has a toy and child B wants it, and child B is bigger, Child B has a number of options. She can ask nicely for the toy to be handed over right now. She can offer to wait patiently while Child A has his turn and then have a turn of her own. She could also offer Child B another toy to play with that he might like better in exchange for the toy in hand. So far, so good. Child B can also imply about what might happen to Child A if he doesn't turn over the toy immediately. Child B can also threaten to post unflattering footage of Child A to Facebook or Instagram. Child B can sidle up to Child A looming above him menacingly as she cracks her knuckles. Child B can also just wallop Child A and take the toy. In that very basic, very human scenario, violence isn't an end in itself, a noble pursuit with its own rewards. It's just a tool, one of many at the disposal of child B, or the clan, or the tribe, or the nation, to aid it in its pursuit of getting what it wants or needs. In this episode of Tanakhcast, we see both ends of von Clausewitz's dictum play out in real time. We see war, and we see politics both in their naked forms, probably for the first time in the Tanakh.
But before we get into the machinations of David and Avner, a sidebar about murder. So, yeah, murder. There's nothing more destructive to the metaphysical fabric that binds us in the untimely murder of one human being by another. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that was Walt Whitman. There's a lot to say about what happened on Mount Gilboa. There's the differing accounts from Samuel 1 and Samuel 2, the Amalekite with the shady motives. But what I find most interesting is David's reaction to the Amalekite's specious account of events. He doesn't ask why, of all places, he happened to be on Mount Gilboa so soon after a war, blah, blah, blah. Instead, he's preoccupied with how the Amalekite had the audacity to, quote, reach out your hand to do violence to the Lord's anointed. As we discussed in previous episodes, David's relationship with Shaul was complicated and, and full of contradictions. Shaul tried to kill David numerous times, and David had numerous opportunities to return the favor, but each time David is presented with the opportunity to kill Shaul, to end the pursuit and vendetta once and for all, he doesn't. And when his men ask him why, he says he couldn't lay hands on the Lord's anointed. A similar explanation is offered by Shaul's men at the monastery of Nov when Shaul orders the execution of all of the priests there. So I guess even with violence, with murder, with war, there, there are rules. You know, and David collected foreskins from a hundred unwilling Philistines. He killed hundreds, if not thousands, in his military career. But when he could have killed the man who pledged to kill him, he did not lay hands on the Lord's anointed. And perhaps that's respect for king and respect for the Lord, or perhaps that's politics. And in this episode, we see two master politicians at work. David's reactions are masterfully calibrated in this episode. He reacts to the Amalekites only after he leads his men in fasting, mourning, and weeping for Shaul. He orders that all the people of Yehudah be taught the lament he composes for Shaul and Yonatan. The verses he dedicates to the king are as proper and formal as the stanza about Yonatan is evocative and personal. David is working all the angles, trying to shore up support for his monarchy amongst the other 11 tribes in Israel. He courts the people of Yavesh Gilad, diehard Shaul loyalists on the eastern bank of the Jordan, and urges them to transfer their allegiance from the dead king to him. On the other side of the divide, another master politician is at work, Avner. He is an opportunist, quickly installing the feckless Ishboshet as king in Machanaim, all the while establishing himself as Israel's strongman. When Ishbosheth senses who the real power is in Israel, he tries to take Avner down with a scurrilous charge of indecency, of sleeping with the royal concubine. And when they face off over it, Avner says, Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't catch you. Would you repeat it? Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Avner decides to defect to David. He offers to come over to David's side, confident that he will maintain his status as strongman and influencer while he brings core supporters with him. This move could end the bitter war between Israel and Yehuda. David accepts Avner warmly, sending him off in peace to work his magic with the people of the north. Now, when Yoav hears about this, he explodes into a rage. The man who murdered his brother, the enemy, an ego-driven traitor, who, Yoav surely realizes, is also vying for his job. How could David be so naive? Quote, 
What have you done? Look, Avner has come to you. Why did you send him off? And he went, going off. You know that Avner ben Nair, to dupe you, has come to learn your comings and goings and to learn all that you do. These words are laden with double meaning. When Yoav says Avner has come to you, it closely mirrors the language of the accusation that Ishboshet makes against Avner about him supposedly coming to the king's concubine. And then when Yoav rails against David for being duped, he uses the Hebrew word pita, which also means seduced. But that's the thing. David is not seduced. He is the one who seduces, and by sending off Avner in peace, knowing full well word will get back to Yoav, he sets a chain of events in motion that will not only resolve the civil war and consolidate his power, but he will achieve both goals without dirtying his hands. Ah, politics. And the butchery begins. So it's no surprise that Yoav, David's chief henchman, quickly arranges to have Avner summoned back to Hebron so he can murder him, at which point David can cry, quote, Innocent am I in my kingship before the Lord of all time of the blood of Avner ben Ner. And then David goes on to blame Yoav for everything, quote, May the blood guilt come down on the head of Yoav and all his father's house, and may there never lack in the house of Yoav a sufferer of discharge from his member and running sores on his skin, and a man clutching the woman's spindle, and one falling by the sword, and one wanting for bread. In other words, God damn you! God damn you all to hell! And David makes Yoav and all of his men publicly mourn for Avner, and when Avner is buried, David walks behind the bier and weeps aloud when the gr- over the grave, and quote, all the people wept. And then David busts out another poem, cleaning over Avner while the people keep weeping. And there's fasting and more crying. And David tells his servants conclusively, quote, You must know that a commander and a great man has fallen this day in Israel. And I am gentle and just anointed king. And these sons of Truya are too hard for me. May the Lord pay back the evildoer according to his evil. But here's the thing. Since when is David such a big fan of Avner? Great man? Up until that day, they were bitter enemies. And all this business about being gentle and just anointed king, David had been king in Hebron for years. Was he playing the innocent lamb? Ooh, have pity on me, people of Israel. I'm just a poor little lamb, gentle and innocent, thrust onto the throne and forced to deal with ruffians like Yoav and Avishai. And finally, if the sons of Truya are so hard and so evil, and to be stricken with venereal disease and all that other stuff, why doesn't David do anything about it? Why doesn't David have Yoav killed? Or, if nothing else, why doesn't David have Yoav fired? Because everything that transpired from the moment Avner entered into audience with David was part of David's grand scheme. Every kitten grows up to be a cat. They seem so harmless at first, small, quiet, lapping up their saucer of milk. But once their claws get long enough, they draw blood, sometimes from the hand that feeds them. For those of us climbing to the top of the food chain, there can be no mercy. There is but one rule. Hunt or be hunted. And so, as chapter 3 concludes, David has established himself as the people's favorite and protector of the realm. Now, all that remains is for someone to tell Ishboshet. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. 
or like Tanakhcast at the show pages on Facebook or Google+. Or write a brief review at the iTunes store, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's small thing, really, but it will help other people find Tanakhcast. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 71, when we continue the second book of Samuel with chapters 4 through 7.